Dangerous Ideas Podcast, Episode 1, A Southern Perspective with James Yeager. Hi, I'm Jordan Gassemi, the host of Dangerous Ideas. Have you ever been watching the news and seen an interview that you learned absolutely nothing from? I was recently watching an interview on CNN. I think it was between someone from the Trump campaign who was trying to tell us that President Trump was basically the second coming of Jesus and someone that worked for the Democratic National Campaign who was trying to tell us that Trump was the next Hitler arguing with each other. Now, instead of trying to find some common ground and understand each other's perspective, they were just trying to score quick points in a verbal tug of war. And if it wasn't bad enough that neither of them was being reasonable, Halfway through the interview, it turned into a shouting match, so I didn't even get to hear what they wanted to say anyways. And at the end of it, I thought, well, shoot, I could do a better job than this. And that's the inspiration for me starting this podcast. I want to go and interview people that have different perspectives from my own and learn from them. Now, I was taken completely by surprise when Donald Trump won the election. I live in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and not a lot of people I know voted for Donald Trump. Now, obviously, those people are out there because he won the election. And I'm willing to bet that the people who voted for Donald Trump probably have the same situation. They get their news from other sources. Let's say someone's watching Fox News. They probably don't get a moderate and reasonable portrayal of what the people who voted for Hillary are like. They probably just see clips on Fox News of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton. And so that's where Dangerous Ideas comes in, to expose the listener to ideas and perspectives that they otherwise wouldn't hear. And I'll give you an example of when there's no middle ground how the debate can be sort of skewed. So I was visiting Tehran a few years ago, and I asked one woman what she thought about the requirement to wear a hijab, although in Iran they wear what's called the rusari. It's a little more uh, like a scarf that covers your hair. Uh, Anyways, I I was asking her, what did she think about this requirement? And she said she liked it. She said that her mother, when she was growing up, there was a different government that banned them. And so her mother, being religious, wasn't able to attend public school because she wasn't allowed to wear her, uh, her cover. So I said, well, rather than banning it or making it mandatory, why not meet in the middle and make it optional? And she looked at me, she said, hmm, I never thought about that. And I think that point illustrates something that's happening here in the United States, is that we're only seeing two extremes being portrayed on the mainstream media, and you're not getting a balanced perspective. Now, the first interview that I'm going to share with you is when I went down to Camden, Tennessee. It's about an hour and a half outside of Nashville. And for me, this was really interesting because I'm originally from New York State, and you know, we have might have some preconceptions about what it might be like in the South, in a small town. And to set the stage for you a little bit, this is an area that has a lot of Confederate flags. There's a small diner in town. It's got a little sign that says, no public displays of affection. So you kind of get a feel for what type of community it is. They have about 3,500 people in that town. And as for myself, I'm 50% Persian and I'm from New York State, so they could probably tell by the way I talk and by the way I look. Maybe I'm not from around there originally. But I didn't have any issues. I'm happy to report that everybody was really nice to me. The Southern hospitality is alive and well. And maybe it's my own shortcoming. Maybe it was silly of me to even imagine that I might have a problem. That's a preconception that must have come from somewhere else and it was completely unfounded. And let's dig into this idea a little bit further because we also sometimes have these issues 
that if other people disagree with us, we kind of assume other things about them. For example, one thing James and I will be talking about is the Civil War and slavery. And you'll hear James say that he thinks the Civil War is more about states' rights and taxation than it is about slavery. And you'll hear me say some other things. And just because we disagree, you know, doesn't mean that either one of us is a racist. It just means that we're coming from different places. We have different perspectives. And we talk about a whole host of other issues too, like health care, the Second Amendment, and other things. And so right now, I'd like to share with you a Southern perspective. All right, so this is Jordan. I'm here with James Jagel of, of Tactical Response. And James, what is, what is Tactical Response and who are you, for those that don't know? Oh, Tactical Response teaches good people to kill bad people, and I am the uh, the captain of this pirate ship. Do you have a particular title? Uh, the MFCEO. Yeah. And the MF stands for exactly what you think it is. <laughs> so now you put out a lot of content about firearms, and people could Google you and learn more about that, as I did. So I wanted to talk to you more about your thoughts on politics, philosophy, and just to give people context, I first learned about you when I saw the infamous Pack Your Bags video. Yep. I was watching CNN, of course. Not, they, they love me over there. Yeah, I don't think they gave you a fair shake on it, so I thought I'd look online for myself and see what you're all about. And tell me if this is a fair characterization. That video was basically not a call to arms per se, but more of an alert. You're saying, like, this particular bill that's banning firearms is approaching the level that would be an intolerable encroachment on the Second Amendment. Well, it wasn't a bill. It was going to be an executive order. Executive but yes, order. But yes, but yes, your assessment is correct. Okay. And so the reason I wanted to explore this topic with you further is that I take, I've taken a few of your classes, mm -hmm. and in between rounds on the firing range, I hear students wonder aloud, you know, at what point does this government encroachment become intolerable? At what point do we need to take action or consider it, you know, a pack-our-bags moment? And I think collectively it would make sense that if we could set out some explicit guidelines, if we see this, this, and this, you know, that's a pack your bags moment. We don't need you to come online and tell us. We should all agree to it and know beforehand. Or if you see this, this, and this, that's like start calling your friends and making travel arrangements. Well, here's the problem. We, we like our lives. It's kind of like the Matrix. Nobody nobody really wants to be pulled out of the Matrix. I mean, it's fun in the Matrix. You know, you have, you have food and stuff. And, <laughs> and um, what, what, the, what every government from the beginning of time is figured out is you can't just come in and usurp everybody. You can't just come in and enslave everybody. And so they do it incrementally. And the, the, uh, the analogy that is quite often used is if you threw a frog into a pot of boiling water, it would jump out. But if you put a frog into a pan of cool water and turned the heat on, it would swim around until it died from the heat. And that's what they do. It's um, incre incremental... Uh, encroachment. So nobody, like for instance in California, nobody's going to usurp California government because they had to go from a 15 round to a 10 round magazine. Nobody's going to do that. But if you took some dude that, that just fought the Revolutionary War and put him in California, he'd be like, why do we not have bayonets on our rifles? And then somebody in California would say, what's a bayonet? And then there would be a long discussion about that, about how disappointed he was with modern man not knowing what a bayonet is. But... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they do it a little bit at a time. So nobody is willing to say that this is it. When I did that video, uh, I did a, a video prior to that called my line in the sand. Nobody really watched it. And I said, everything that I said in the pack your bags video, except I didn't say I was going to start killing people. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's as if, if people go, oh, America needs to wake up. We're awake. We've just been lulled into a sense of complacency. Um, you know, um, if we look at the chronology, uh, another one of my, my very popular videos is uh, Active Shooter Part 2. And I filmed that the day I found out about the Sandy Hook shooting. Pack Your Bags video was the next day. And so if you understand, I was already emotional from all the children being killed and how we, we continue to let it happen. And it's a horrible, horrible act um, that we every time it happens, we want to blame a gun and, and instead of addressing the problem. And so the next thing, I'm still reeling from the, the anger of, of police and, and politicians that won't do anything to stop school shootings. And then the next day, the president says, insinuates and says that he'll he'll sign an executive order. He'll 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 get he'll get around Congress. He's you know they're an impediment to him, and that, that was it for me. That that was that was the thing. Now, I have been likened to a dog uh, by my friend Tiberiosaurus Rex. He said about me doing a podcast with another person he said about me he said you know people people want to be mad at james but james is that dog that'll bite you but he barks first mm -hmm. he said that's actually you know what you should do you know you shouldn't just be the silent dog that bites people you you should bark you should warn people that if they encroach any further that they will be bitten and um and that's the kind of the way i looked at it i was uh I was, just, I was heralded as a patriot and a hero and a, as a madman and a psychopath at the same time. Probably a whole lot like the Sons of Liberty or, you know, George Washington himself. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't know I don't know what you're asking me, but that's the best answer I had. <laughs> was there anything in particular about that executive order? Like, what was he banning again? That um... it, it, it never, that never came to fruition. Right. But I knew what it was going to be. It was mm -hmm. going to be anything. It, it was going to be any rifle that you could fight the government with. Uh, I see. You can see how that could be a problem for the Second Amendment, which was put there for that reason. Well, there's there's a lot of misconceptions about the Second Amendment. One, um, it says a well-regulated militia. Well, regulated means trained and disciplined, equipped. Mm -hmm doesn't mean a government regulation yeah. over it. People people uh, don't understand words and context. Um, you know, when Jefferson wrote uh, the Bill of Rights and, and, and the preamble and things, um, Ben Franklin said, well, you know, um, I'm going to go in and clean up the text. Well, you know, Ben Franklin thought he was the smartest man they ever lived. And, and while he was an awesome person, <laughs> he, he couldn't touch Thomas Jefferson. And uh, Jefferson told him, no, no, it's fine just like it is. Every word had, had a meaning and, um, and regulated, didn't, had nothing to do with government incursion and militia. And, you know, it's funny because people want to say, well, you know, you know, they didn't understand technology and they didn't, you know, they didn't know this and they didn't know they were going to have assault rifles and things like that. And I, and I am quick to inform these people that have never studied this, that um, we had... As civilians, as farmers, we had ordnance, we had bombs, we had cannons. Like all the stuff that we began that war with was stuff that we already owned mm -hmm. here. Um, and so, uh, you know, and if I wheeled a cannon out in my front yard, you know, I mean, my neighbors would expect it, but maybe yours wouldn't. <laughs> um, but uh, that was that was there, you know, before. So it's not a technology thing; it's a freedom thing. 
Um, so if we just look at the, a well-regulated militia, what the militia was was the people, not not the National Guard. And, and it's funny because they want to say, oh, it's the it's the National Guard. Well, it's, it's obviously we just fought the largest army in the world uh, that was that was ran by a king. The last thing we wanted was another standing army that was led by the king. You know, you know, it would have been our king at the time, um, George Washington. It's the last thing they wanted. So uh, we just look at the first sentence. They've got it all wrong. <laughs> well, let's talk about the civic responsibility maybe as a precursor to, you know, a pack your bags moment. Like, Isn't there some sort of responsibility that people would do that is on civilians you know, oh, I'm ready to talk. You can stop asking your question. Uh, you have a duty to protect yourself more than anybody else in the world. And that's not being selfish. Uh, like a bodyguard, the most important person a bodyguard protects is himself because if he's not dead, he cannot protect his client. Mm -hmm. If you're dead, you cannot protect your family. So the second most important thing you protect is your family. After that, your neighborhood, you know, the street you live on, and after that, your city or your county, or after that, your state and your country. Um, and so it is your civic duty to to be a juror, to, to vote, uh, to volunteer in your community, and to be able to protect and defend your your house, yourself, your community, your state, your country. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about more of the collective sense, like, because you're saying that there's like a pack-your-bags moment because there's some legislation or executive order that might come to fruition. That would be a pack-your-bags moment if it reaches a certain level. And you hear a lot of guys in the gun culture ready to say, you know, I'll fight for that and I'll do this, but... Think of an experiment, say, in your class. If you said, how many people support the Second Amendment? Everybody would raise their hand, right? Mm -hmm. But then would you say, how many of you guys have visited your congressman in the last six months and lobbied them to support the Second Amendment? Some would go down. Oh, they would all go down. How many of you guys have even made a phone call or written a letter? They, a lot of them would go down. So just in terms of like a justifiable sense, if you're going to say, I'm going to fire a shot for this cause, you should at least be required to lobby your congressman before that. I absolutely agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And, and I tell people all the time, um, if you're lazy, just join the NRA. They go, well, I don't like the NRA. Okay, well, join the NRA, the GOA. Every join, join all of them. You'll spend three hundred bucks a year to join all of them. You know, join them all. And, and at least, if you're lazy, at least let somebody else talk for you. That's the least you should do as a gun owner. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, like NRA makes it easy for you to to. The, here's the email address, and we understand emails have a certain amount of whatever. But but certainly, they have you know letters. That you can print off and sign your name to, mail in. That's 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 another level of great. And a and a handwritten letter, of course, as always, gets the most attention. And people should do that stuff. And they should go to rallies. And they should, you know, they should be a part of the process. And and I am that. I I, I spent about every penny I had in savings uh, to get Donald Trump into office. Mm -hmm. I you know and you know I because. Because I looked at the two, the fork in the road right there was, I'm going to start shooting people. If this, if the election goes this way, probably right pretty soon, or at least I got four more years to, to <laughs> not kill people. Yeah. Uh, really. And so I was like, what is that worth to me? And I spent thousands and thousands of dollars supporting Donald Trump. So you put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I think we're on the same page there. People should exhaust those options and put some time into it. Because, for example, I used to work for a state legislator's office, and mm -hmm. I live in D.C. now. I visited my congressman, and you can look at their guest book, and it's empty. Yeah. It's literally empty. There's one or two other people there, and half of those people are crazy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. if people put the time and effort into it, you can sway it. And this isn't nonsense because you look at the most important legislation that's come up in this last seven years, maybe. It's health care. 
the Republicans' efforts for health care went down in flames, and a part of that was that they were getting flooded with constituent calls. And when I say flooded, we're not talking about a ton of them, but thousands of them per congressman. Mm -hmm. And that was the most important issue. You can imagine an issue like guns, which is maybe on some people's priorities a little bit lower than health care. Sure. You can sway them more easily with those issues with less effort. So it's you can make a difference. And for people that say politics is rigged, you know, Trump got elected. And <laughs> right. If it was rigged, he wouldn't have won. All those people were saying it was rigged and he wasn't going to win, and he yeah. won. Yeah. I knew, I knew he was going to win. Let's talk about, actually, I want to get your views on health care, too. I think that's some, another interesting thing. Health care is not a right, and I shouldn't be taxed to pay for your health care. So would you describe yourself as a libertarian? About 100%. Now, maybe, and, and we all understand that there's different levels of being a Republic, or conservative or liberal or, or a libertarian. I am libertarian. Maybe I'm not as much a libertarian as somebody else, but I'm definitely a libertarian that, that my individual freedom should come before anybody else's. So I, I wouldn't characterize myself as a libertarian. I'm actually leaning democratic liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me get your sense of what should be paid for as a collective and what shouldn't be. So you're saying healthcare is not a right. We shouldn't pay for you. Shouldn't pay for my healthcare. I shouldn't pay for yours. So what about say national defense? Like if Al Qaeda wants to kill one of us, should we pay for that? Now see this is the this is the quagmire. Um, what really is an individual's responsibility. For instance, um, like we had roads and bridges and schools before we had income tax. We had those things, you know. And so right now they say, well, if we didn't pay income tax, we wouldn't. Have, yeah, we already had those things. You know, those things were already being paid for by the communities that they were in. If a community needed a bridge over a creek, they built a bridge over a creek as a community. Um, so uh, healthcare is not a right, and. Uh, there was first off, we already had we already had free health care. Anybody that's sick could go into any emergency room in the country and get care. It was it already existed. So there's nobody with their arm cut off that would die in the street because they couldn't get an ambulance. That's 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 never happened. The thing is, is that our our healthcare system is broken, and instead of fixing the system, they just threw a tax at it. And I have a problem with that. Um, before. Obamacare, I had, um, I paid for health care for every one of my employees. And then after that started, uh, the, the place that I was doing the, uh, the health care, the corporate health care through, through closed down. So I told them all, this is what I pay every month for your health care. I don't know what's going to happen. You're getting that much more money from me a month. Good luck. Wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Huh. Why, why would you? Yeah. <laughs> why would you know that? Well, I feel like that's something like you would want to say, like, look what I'm doing and let people know, like, this is what happened. I didn't know Obamacare would have done that to your business. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I had it through, there was a uh, program called Cover Tennessee, which was a for small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a, um, it was for guys like me that employed less than 50 people that wanted to provide health care for their their, their folks and and of course it wasn't the the greatest but Marilyn you like Marilyn's husband got almost his arm cut off and it saved her a whole bunch of money wow. or paid for a whole bunch of stuff but but uh, uh, oh that's another thing I paid for family health care for everybody um, but um, but see the point now is you know it's a tax and I'm being taxed for it um, charity is something you do out of the goodness of your own heart. Um, when you point a gun at me and take my money from me, that's not charitable. 
Okay, is that you know, like uh, for instance, Robin Hood. You know, the story of Robin Hood is romanticized as you know stealing from rich and giving to the poor, but he was a fucking thief, and he and he killed people. You know, and uh, you know he's a murderer and a thief. Um, so, you know, like I I don't know what the, the the best answer is you know for this, but but taxing me, and I don't have health care, is fucking bullshit. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I want to make a comparison to you, like, from my perspective. So some things should be paid for out of the taxes, right? Like some things are worthy of taxes. One would be, say, national defense, right? Yeah, yeah, I got no problem with that. But from a pragmatic view, this is what I'm, I'm looking at. Um, if Al-Qaeda wants to put a bullet in my head and kill me, I have little control over that, and I'm going to be dead. If cancer wants to put a tumor in my head and kill me, I have no control over that, and I'm going to be dead. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I treat the issue similarly. If we're going to pay for one... It's almost like paying for the other. I can't control either one, and they're both going to kill me. Why is one more deserving of our tax dollars than the other? Because Al-Qaeda doing something to our country is a national problem. You having a tumor is a personal problem. The, our, our, our country is founded on the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Um, the pursuit of that. Nobody's granted that. Nobody's granted life here. You, you are allowed to chase happiness here. It's not given to you. It's not a right. You don't have a you don't have a right not to have a fucking tumor. Now listen, it, I, I know it sounds like I'm being an asshole, but like, okay, so here's the problem: you will run out of money sometime. And now we have we have this 70 year old guy with a tumor in his brain and a baby with a tumor in his brain, and we only got money to treat one of them. So which one are we going to treat? And so that's and that's the quagmire. That's that's the problem that this causes, um, and. Uh, like, and, and for all the people that might be listening to, that, that want to call me like some fucking like penny-pinching asshole that, that just worries about myself, I dare anybody listening to compare charitable contributions that I have made with what you have made in your life, just from last year. Like, I go out and I look. I look at the GoFundMes and those pages with, with babies with cancer, and, and I donate money. I put my money where my mouth is every day. Um and uh, but but the the reality is like I, you know uh, I saw Senator Rand Paul talking about it. He says well, if you have a right to health care and I'm a doctor that means you have a right to come to my house and put a gun to my head and make me go perform medical on you. You don't have a right to health care. So would you say that then it's like kind of a moral hazard, a slippery slope. If we're going to pay for this health care, then we might have to pay for other things, and we would have to take some from others, like the older gentleman, and presumably give it to the kid, like that kind of thing. It's a Moral hazard in a way. Well, I mean, Obama's thing, they they had the, the death panel, you know, the, the, the like, who, at some point, somebody's going to get to decide. See, this, this healthcare thing is a fantasy. It will run out of money. It will. And when it gets towards the end is when we're going to have to start making choices. Choices that we could make without healthcare and keep our money. What about, um, maybe not a complete Obamacare style healthcare system. But what about single payer and that the government should be able to consolidate the programs and negotiate prices? Cause they already do it right. We're not adding more, but they already do it. You might want to get rid of what they're doing. Okay. Here's the, here's the deal. Everybody points to socialized medicine. They point to Canada. Canada doesn't have to have a military because they gave us Alaska to protect them from the Russians. <laughs> okay. So that's number one. Uh, Canada does not have a military and people go, yes, we do. Okay. Thank you, Canada. Yes, they got they got a couple of soldiers. Um, 
so and so they can afford socialized medicine because they don't have to pay for national defense. That's number one. Number two, why do they come here? Why why do their elected officials, their rich people, come to America to get treatment? Because we have the best treatment in the world, and we're not going to have that if this continues. The, the, all of, all of the things that drive innovation are a free market. Anytime you take a free market out of anything, it ruins it. It ruins the innovation. It ruins the invention. I agree in that the middlemen, you subsidize insurance companies, you subsidize drug companies in different ways, and then the government's involvement makes the healthcare less efficient. But it does, at the very least, provide some sort of guarantee for those people that can't afford it. Would you agree with that? As I said, before Obamacare, you could walk into any emergency room in the country and get care. But have you ever been to that? Have you ever been in that situation yourself? I have been a police officer for 10 years, and I have taken people to the emergency room that didn't have insurance to get them treatment. So that works for last-stage emergent care, emergency. But if you want to get preventative care, you need other types of care, that's probably not the best option to go to. Okay, I, I get that. And, uh, you know, the reality is you don't have a right to health care, and you can fund it all you want with taxes, but eventually you're going to run out of tax money. Like it's going like, and that's a that's a that's a reality that that uh, that they'll that the national healthcare people don't want to admit, and they just keep thinking there's there's this there's this mythical rich person that we can just keep taking money from, and that we can pay all of our shit with, and it's it it does not exist. The last point I want to make on sort of the taxes and healthcare issue is people will sometimes bring up that after World War II, we had a very high tax rate. Before World War II, we had a very high tax rate. And there still were rich people, successful people, and that's when our economy boomed. Um, we had a real high tax rate tax rate right before the Civil War. It caused the Civil War. That's actually ne the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> well, it's a good segue. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm down in Dixie now, and I've seen a couple of your videos that touched sort of on the fringes of that, mm -hmm. of that issue of the Civil War. Um... Well, let me, let me jump back to what we were talking about earlier, the line in the sand, sort mm -hmm. of intolerable encroachment. So imagine, you know, not only a assault weapons ban, but, you know, you say you can't own any weapons, you can't vote, you're not allowed to read, you are property, and forget taxes because your labor is free. That's slavery, right? Mm -hmm. So would, would that not constitute tyranny, and would people not be justified in rebelling against that in the Confederacy? Oh, wait a minute. We're about to have the conversation that the Civil War was not about slavery. No, we're not. We're not there yet. We're just talking about slavery in general. You know that Lincoln's first term, he ran on the fact that he would not do anything about slavery, right? If, if you take him at his word, that's what he said. Yeah. But the first thing he did when he was uh, an officer, or should I say, after the war, he did issue the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's an issue. We can get to that. But I wanted to ask you first about slavery generally. Let's say, regardless of the Civil War, slavery. Mm -hmm as a intolerable state, as a red line, mm -hmm. would that not be tyranny? Absolutely. Absolutely tyranny. And so would the... Oh, okay, and right there. Yeah. So slavery is defined as keeping 100% of someone's proceeds, like their their, 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 their labor, their money, the, everything they have. Mm -hmm. So I'm taxed at about 40%. So I'm 40% a slave. Is that not... Am I being 40% tyrannized? You could put it that way. We're not, not rebelling not, oh, about I, it. Though. I'm not putting it that way. That's the way it is. If you if you look up the definition for slavery, I am forty percent a slave. I have no choice in it. They take it from me. Okay. But what's your point about that? My point is like 
first off, we were you're trying to have a conversation about the the revolu- or the uh, sorry the Civil War being about slavery. It was not. Um, and then so I just wanted to talk about slavery for a minute. What slavery is? Mm-hmm. And because you were about to say, isn't it okay to rebel against tyranny? Well, am I allowed to am I allowed to rebel forty percent? You might be. That's a that's an issue you have to decide. But <laughs> please, let, let's please say this, continue. Let's say the Civil War didn't happen. Let's just say the Southern states that had slavery um, had this system. So would that not be the line in the sand? Would they be justified in rebelling against the slaves against the Southern states or the or the population against those governments? Would who be allowed to rebel? The slaves or people who wanted to fight with them? Yeah. Here's the thing, though. If you if you look at it. From a financial point, slavery was on its way out anyway. There were less and less slaves every generation uh, because it cost so much to keep slaves. And if it were, if slavery would have been left on its own, it would have been gone probably, probably in within twenty years. Now I know it's twenty years of slavery, but it would have just, it would have just fizzled out. Maybe, maybe. Not maybe. So you're saying someone that's getting free labor would, some, for some reason, be oh, incentivized so, to get again, rid of it? Again, you're, you're showing that you have not studied the Civil War. Define free because these slaves were housed. They, the were, house they were provided done. medical care. They were fed. Like, that's not free. Well, at some point, someone made the financial decision that it's cheaper to keep them as slaves than to free them. So they're gaining somewhere. I'm going to say, if you study it, you'll see that there were less and less slaves every generation right. because of the expense of keeping them. Right. I, I don't dispute that. Okay. I don't know what the question is. So would would then the side that was keeping slaves be somehow in the wrong? Yeah, slavery is wrong. Well, yeah, we agree on that. <laughs> but we're saying the result of the Civil War is that slavery ended, right? As soon as that happened, all the slaves were free because of the emancipation. There might be some exceptions that I'm not aware okay. about, but... Okay. So, are we still talking about the Civil War was about slavery? Because it wasn't. No, we don't have to say it was about slavery. Okay. I mean, World War II wasn't about the Holocaust, but the Holocaust ended as a result of it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, I just want to get your thoughts, generally speaking, about... What were some of the reasons why maybe the Confederacy was justified in rebelling, and then we could talk about slavery separately? Well, first off, um, the the Confederacy didn't need justification. Um, there is no contract between the states. There's a compact between the states. Uh, Andrew Jackson um, was the one that started this bullshit in South Carolina uh, with the blockades and stuff like that, threatening to invade South Carolina. Um, but... Uh, but the reality is that no state that wants to be a part of this union has to be a part of this union. You know, Texans are quick to say, we're the only state that's allowed to secede. Well, all the states are allowed to secede. You're allowed to. And it, it was the the uh, the government overstepping its authority that made the Confederate states, uh, trying to keep the Confederate states as part of the union, that caused the problem. Mm-hmm. It, it should be two different countries. So do you think the outcome of the Civil War, you're saying it should be two different countries. You said they had a just reason to secede, right? That's mm-hmm. what you're saying. They had the right to do that. Mm-hmm. So you're saying the outcome was unjust and that they lost? I, I don't really know what the question is. I, I'm saying that there shouldn't have to been a war. They should have been allowed oh, okay. to secede. I gotcha. They should just have been able to secede legally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from the North. I'm from New York State, so mm-hmm. we don't maybe necessarily get the same mm-hmm. viewpoint on it as you guys do. Well, let me Let me just say this. Nobody retires and moves up north. <laughs> Is that because of the weather? Um, it's because it's the intolerable taxation. 
Well, yeah, we definitely do have higher oh, taxes. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah. No, listen. The, Tennessee in the South is filled with refugees from the northeastern United States. Mm-hmm. Filled with them. You, you, there is there is not one person from the South that retired to New York or New Jersey or any of those places. Not not <laughs> one. Not one. Well, that's the challenge. We have to find one person. Yeah, you will. Yeah, if it was, it was some some old dude tra- chasing a twenty year old girl up there or something. <laughs> got lost. All right, so we'll we'll just. I just wanted to end the Civil War part because that actually segues into something that's going on now. But for the Civil War, like we will, we can observe that the, all the slave states were on one side, all the so called free states were on another side, and the outcome of the Civil War, even though you're saying it's not a cause was that slavery did end. So and right. there's some at least good outcome of it, right? Yeah. And well, one of the things that's funny is when you start talking about it, and, and a northern person is quickly is quick to say things like, well, you guys are mad because you lost. Again, it shows that the lack of study. Um, there was no animosity at the absolute end of the war. It was the antebellum period when we had a, an occupying northern army in the south with a near 100% tax rate, those Union soldiers raped and killed innocent women and men um, for for several years. Um, that is where the animosity comes from the North-South thing. It's not because, quote-unquote, we lost. Um, that That's not, a, not an issue at all as far as that. It was an honorable fight. It was the dishonorable actions that happened after the war that have caused lasting animosity. Hmm. Was this widespread? Was it oh, punished? Yeah. Yes. It was widespread. It was in, it, it was epidemic. It was it was it was it was almost as if it was ordered. Hmm. So you're saying it wasn't? What about the stuff that happened during the war? Was that cause of animosity, like Grant's march to the south, like that kind of thing? Uh, Southerner, any self-respecting Southerner still would not um, would not name their child Sherman. Hmm. But would we? I mean, would we? tarnish i guess the whole army and the whole cause because of that i mean you i mean you served in iraq you probably saw horrible things over there i don't know if, could those actions be imparted upon everybody the whole cause like people in armies even our the united states are the best I, army in the world has done bad things here yeah, and there I'm, I'm just telling you what the animosity is about and 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 people mistakenly that from the north um think that, that it's mad we're, we're, we're sore losers and that's not that's not why it is it, mm. it was about the antebellum period and the, the actions that happened after interesting I've never heard that before yeah I know because you're from the north <laughs> you didn't have a great grandmother around telling you things that happened yeah oh yeah so you were uh, your ancestors have been here for a while mm-hmm so, well, the, the reason I was asking about the Civil War is because I want to get your take on it. But also nowadays, you know, you saw in Charlottesville, which is about not too far away from where I live in Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, there are those statues that were being taken down. How do you feel about people taking down the statues of uh, Civil War monuments? Well, it's, it's fucking retarded. Um, but um, but just yesterday, as we, as we record this, just yesterday I was at Shiloh Battlefield. And I had a couple of friends with me there. And uh, Shiloh was the second largest battle, the second bloodiest battle of the Civil War. And it was the first, it was almost, the the war had been going, excuse me, just about, just less than a year. And it was the first real battle. Shiloh is the fight that made the country go, oh shit, we're in a war. Okay. And um, it was uh, absolutely bloody. But uh, but I took the, the guys that were with me and I showed them, the, the, showed them a graveyard. And a very ornate uh, with brass and gold trim and the headstones are very beautiful, you know. And then I took them and showed them 
this plot of grass that had like a parking curb around this big plot of grass. It was about, uh, uh, you know, about the size of uh, half a football field or something. And, um, and, and I said, this is the other one. And they said, the other what? And I said, this is the other graveyard. And they said, what do you mean? I said, this is where the Southerners were buried. And they just looked at me. It's an unmarked grave. It just has a curb going around it. And they said, they said, what? You know, they started getting mad. And I'm like, guys, they, they were insurgents. They, they were not, they were not part of the, 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 the Union Army. They were insurgents. They were rebels. And I said, and when you're a rebel, you get buried in a mass grave. Hmm. So uh, I want to make that point. Um, the other point is that regardless of whether or not the South was right morally and things like that with every point, um, it was a states' rights issue, and some of the greatest leaders and greatest military tactics came from Southern soldiers and things that are still used today. Think lessons that we learned at Shiloh, battles of Park, Battle Parker's Crossroads, um, Jim Henson, one man's war, the, the most successful sniper in the Civil War was just close here. There are a lot of, lot of things, positive military things that came from that that, we, that are still used today. And, uh, and another thing, while, while I have the microphone, the thing, people are quick to act like Southerners are stupid. And I just want to remind them that, uh, that uh, the nuclear bomb was invented in Tennessee and we ro launched rockets out of Huntsville, Alabama, and <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I mean, just say there's a there's some smart folks in the South. Yeah, definitely, that's for sure. Um, so I hear sometimes people say that removing these monuments is whitewashing history. Like we're trying to get rid of something yeah. that we might not like. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with it that it's whitewashing history. And when I when I say that, I I mean to say. A monument, in my mind, is something that gives honor, praise, glory to, to a cause. And being in the United States, I think it's one thing if we want to separate, you know, the motives of the soldiers who fought. Like, you know, we maybe had some poor ancestors that didn't own a single slave. They're not fighting for that. They're fighting for other reasons. But uh, at the end of the day, if they wanted to secede, that's kind of the opposite of, well, not the opposite, as you would say, but it would be... The United States wouldn't be what it is today if that had happened, if they had been allowed to secede. And so maybe we shouldn't keep monuments for the secession cause in public places because that was what well, the... I completely disagree, and I can guarantee you right now, 100%, guarantee you, and I'll bet money before I even say it, that you have not read George Orwell's 1984. I read it. That's what that guy did was whitewashed history. That's what he got paid to do every day. That's what they're doing. How how can you have read that book and understand the, the the totality of it and think that those statues don't need to exist? I didn't say they need to exist. What I was going to say is that maybe they shouldn't exist in a public space. If the local <laughs> if wait 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 if they're not in public, then they don't exist. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the local government votes to get rid of them, which is what they did, um they can be put in a museum. We're not talking about destroying them or, or something like that, but you can still preserve history without celebrating. They're not his, like statues. I'm not comparing those guys to Hitler, but let's say that we don't have his, um, statues of other people in our history, like Hitler or Bin Laden or anybody that we had to fight against, the Union side or the Americans. Those statues might not exist in public spaces, but we can still preserve them. Okay. Those people are all Americans. And some of them were great leaders that, right. that did things that, I, that's why I went and talked about the tactics and stuff like that, that did great things. 
Um, Nathan Bedford Forrest, the guy that started the Klan, allegedly, operated in this county. And he started something and was called an idiot for doing it by the North. Uh, that is military doctrine. Um, he had a ammunition depot that was about to be overrun, and he blew it up. Mm-hmm. So the Union didn't get it. And he was called an idiot at the time. Well, you know, even if you've never been in the military, you know that's you know you don't let the enemy have your stuff. And that is so he started a military doctrine in this county that is used by the US military to this day. And people want to tear statues down. So you would you would be opposed to putting them in museums where they could learn about them. What's the difference between a museum and a park? Park is public property. Is a museum not public property? Not necessarily. Oh, so you're saying it won't be in a government-funded museum? It could be put there. It could be put in uh, other things. But I think if you put statues in parks that glorify things, not taking away from their military victories, but the political cause wasn't our own, necessarily. It was our own. Those people were Americans. They were Americans, but they didn't want to be part of the Union. Okay. We disagree. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You know, there's the old business saying, if two people agree, one of them is unnecessary. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what, let's talk more about the protests that were happening down in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. So we've got the Antifa. It's a group loosely aligned leftists. Some of them are communists. I saw the hammer and sickle flag. Disturbing. Some of their tactics are violent and thuggish. We can agree on that. Then we also have the other side. Um, some of them are comprised of white nationalists and neo-Nazis. And this is by their own admission. They're carrying the swastika flag. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we approach this problem? What do you think about their protests? Because these were folks coming from other states even to come and protest the decisions yeah, of a local well, government. Here's the thing, and I don't care for talking about the left or the right. Just because you got a guy showing up with a hammer and sickle flag or a guy showing up with a Nazi flag doesn't mean that's what that group represents. There's always some interloper doing stuff they shouldn't be. And and who's to say that those people, the guy carrying the Nazi flag or the hammer and sickle, or even on that side, maybe they went over there to make that side look bad. And I'm saying maybe somebody from the right tried to make the left look bad by carrying the flag or vice versa. That's number one. Uh, but uh, people should be allowed to protest. It's the destruction and violence that is that is absolutely unforgivable. Um, I don't know what to do. Uh, I just know what I'll do if somebody tries to attack me because of my political views. I will kill them dead. Now, we get our information from different news sources, I'm guessing, and we have what they would call different bubbles. I'm over near the D.C. area, and all the people that I talk to are left-leaning. You're here in Tennessee. You probably get a more conservative news sources. What has the coverage been like down here? What have you been hearing about this? I know it seems like you guys might be more concerned about Antifa, and over where I'm from, they're more concerned about the other guys. I'm not concerned at all. I just ignore it all. All of it. Interesting. So you, when you say you ignore it, you see it on TV, it doesn't bother you, you don't think about it? I, just, I don't watch it. Like the, the only thing I've seen lately is that Homeland Security um, either has or is about to say that Antifa is a domestic terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I got that through law enforcement bulletins, not through, you know, the, not through the news. I, I think all the news sources are fucked up. Yeah. Now I saw... Um... Well, I listened to Billy Birdzell's podcast a while ago, and he said something along the effects of, you know, you don't get moderates showing up at these protests or joining fights, right? Mm-hmm. You get the people on the extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is a state that we're in where we're seeing, you know, the fringes that are going off. But maybe 
maybe if we get more regular people showing up to these rallies, it won't be so violent. It won't be uh, it won't be seen as just Nazis and commies fighting each other. Well, it's, it's kind of like Yelp. You know, nobody makes a review that's three stars. It's yeah. one or it's five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you go to Yelp and just find all the three-star reviews, that's your moderates. <laughs> yeah, they don't show up. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, nobody nobody really does something unless they're they're it's really not. happy or really mad. Yeah, exactly. You know? And and nothing nothing motivates people like anger. Yeah. So you said you voted for Trump, or you didn't say you voted for him. You yeah, said I voted you donated for Trump. to him. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so you voted for him too. Easy assumption. So you guys are riding high right now. Uh, Republicans have the government, basically. I, I did a video the day after the election. Said it said don't gloat, don't yeah. gloat it in people's face, um, and and it's time to get to work. So well, what, one of my issues is that people of any political stripe they tend to idealize their particular leaders, their their representatives, and they just they won't admit they did anything wrong, even though you know two people don't agree on anything. Me right. and my me and my wife don't. So right. I'll admit it here. I voted for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I didn't like what Trump was saying or what he stood for. Right. But I criticize Hillary all the time. Right. What are some things that Trump has done that you don't like? Well, there's some stuff he hasn't done that I don't like. Okay. Like, like uh, I expected, because of the, the support the NRA gave him, that he would do something about the ATF and do something about the NFA and things like that. Um, he hasn't, so I'm not happy about that. Um I'm I'm happy about the business stuff that he's done, but uh, but certainly if, look listen Trump wasn't my first pick. Uh, Rand Paul was actually my first pick, um, but I absolutely I absolutely f- can find fault in any person doing any job, just like anybody else. And Trump is no no exception from that. I think one of the things that um, that I do like about him uh, is that the fact that he like he does these tweets. He's just off the cuff tweets. And people are like, oh, it's so unpresidential. And I'm like, that's okay with me because now I can kind of see what that dude's about. Good or bad, like, it, it, it's it's telling. Whether or not you like him or not, it's telling. But uh, but certainly he hasn't done – I'm trying to think of what he's done. Like, he certainly has not – he certainly has not uh, done anything with health care that I find wonderful at all. And, again, I want everybody to have health care coverage. Just, let's just not call it a right. Um I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think of something else he's done. I, I got it? one thing. If you're still yeah. thinking, yeah. Um, so the buck stops with him, right? He's the president. And one thing that he went on TV and said that just rubbed me the wrong way. He said uh, it was after he put that special operations mission into motion. They lost a few guys, mm-hmm. and the report the reporter asked him about it. And he said, "I didn't lose them. My generals lost them." I was like. You know, I can't let that slide. You got to take responsibility. No, I, I agree. No, one hundred percent. I don't remember that exchange, but yes, that he shouldn't have said that. He is the commander in chief. He is the general's general. He that he is responsible for that. Uh, I don't. I don't remember that. I mean, I'm. A, I, I just. I didn't hear that. Another thing, this is actually something you brought up in class the other day. You said, you know, if a guy's cheating on his wife, don't go into business with him because then. He can look her in the eye and do it. You ain't shit. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I always said the same thing about Clinton. I said, you know, if he's lying to her, you know, <coughs> who knows what he's telling us. Right. But we could maybe say the same thing about Trump, right? You had that hot mic moment of him bragging about those other things. So we can say trustworthy to a degree, maybe, but, you know, trust and verify. Uh, well, okay. Um, I don't trust anybody like that, but it was between him and Hillary. And she is a lying, a pathological, lying, murderous bitch. And so... Whatever he did was less than that. Okay. Yeah. 
I definitely didn't enjoy voting for Hillary, but there were just some things. I'll give you an example of something I didn't like about Trump. The travel ban. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, I'm a logical person. Like I said, I'm practical. If you're going to say, you know, people from these countries have a higher propensity to want to do damage to mm-hmm. us, yeah, we should screen them, we should ban them. However, my problem with it was it was a political decision. I think it was engineered by Bannon mostly than it was a, an actual governmental decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you kind of get the sense of that because of how it was enacted. He did it quickly. The government has immense resources, one of them being data. They have more data available to them than probably any other organization. So... The way he would implement the policy is within, what, two or three days or a week of getting into office is insane. This is something that should have been put through the departments like Homeland Security and other ones, the State Department, that could actually put together a coherent policy, one that would even stand up to judicial scrutiny. Instead, he did it within a couple days and probably just because it sounded good. And furthermore, I have a personal stake in it, right? If he had put this ban into place at another period in time, I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. My father's from Iran. I've been to Iran. We're not on the good uh, diplomatic relationship with them right now, but they're definitely not trying to kill us in that sense. You look at the countries that didn't make the list and were giving money to them, like Saudi Arabia. Those people, I think, have also uh, historically, like September 11th, need to be scrutinized too. So wait, I don't... wait a minute. So Trump, in the first couple of days in office, instituted a travel ban and gave money to Saudi Arabia. No, no. Let me let me uh, let okay, me rephrase. Okay, because it's all kind of mashing together there. Let me let me rephrase that. So historically, the United States have been giving money to Saudi yes. Arabia, but those. People that did September 11th, most of them actually came yep. from there. Agreed. And they're, yet they're not on the list. Maybe they have better screening techniques now, but I, my point is that, you know, I think this is more of a political decision than one that's actually going to keep us safe. Well, if if people are coming through our gates, I forget what country they're from, right. that do not have, like, a real identity, like we don't really know who they are, we don't really know their background, that's that's not that's not good. I'm with you 100%. But okay. we should do that maybe on an individual basis instead of a countrywide basis. Well, there is no... The government in, for instance, Iraq is fractured. Yeah. So it wouldn't matter who came out of Iraq. It really wouldn't matter who it was. They're, right. they're, they're, there's no way to verify who they are. There's just not. Um, so a country like Iraq, it should be on the list. That makes sense. That's right. Especially because it's a war zone that we're fighting in. I would right. agree with you there. I think, uh, and then there are always exceptions for certain things, but generally speaking, yeah, if you can't verify yeah. them, you can't if, let them in. If you see a, um, an Iraqi passport that looks legit, it's fake. Hmm. A real one looks like they scotch taped the picture in. And I'm not even joking. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. If you see one that looks like legit, yeah, it's not real. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that we would think was fake Yeah. that's real. Wow. How was your interaction with the local people there? Uh, we, we worked with them. Uh, we they we worked uh, that we had Iraqis on our team with us. We we had Iraqis that would help us, like uh, you know cooks and and uh, you know people like that. Like we had Iraqi guards that guarded our compound. I mean, so I mean, I I learned a little bit of Arabic and and I'm friends with some which like still on Facebook. One of them wished my grandson a happy birthday yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, one of the guys that was on our, our guard force, on our bodyguard team, uh, he worked for the Army for years and years and years, and they said he could come over with his family. And I've been working with him, you know, writing letters and telling the government, U.S. government, that I will help him. And, you know, so I'm I'm trying to – he's one guy that <laughs> I know is a good guy, and I'm trying to get him over here. So Very cool. So it looks like you would train all types of people as long as they're – I think you said as long as they're legally allowed to be here, you train yeah. anybody? 
Yeah, as long as you're a, yeah, a good person, whatever you want to, <laughs> however you want to classify that, you know. Very cool. Is there any other issues you wanted to talk to me about? You got a liberal right in your crosshairs today. No, I, I listen. I listen. I, I've made videos about this. If we had a, you know, a scale, in the middle was 100% libertarian, and to the right was all the right, and left was all the left. I think that most people are kind of in the middle. And as you said, most people are not on the fringes. And I think that we have a lot more in common than we have apart. I think it's a lot of, a lot of times it's a matter of perspective and, and and life experience that makes us have our choices that kind of pushes us left or right. I am, I'm the last thing from conservative. Like I think that the I think that the uh, you know the far right the far Christian right is is just as totalitarian as the far left uh, Democrats. But uh, I, I don't. I think there's a whole lot less that separates us. I think the media tries to tell us that we're so different from each other, and we're not. So I'm sitting across the the table from you, who's Iranian descent. Um, you look Iranian descent. You're sitting across the table from the dude that that looks like a shaved, green-eyed skinhead. You know, <laughs> um, and so somebody could see you somewhere and think a certain thing about you that's not true, or they could see me across. I got two black grandkids. Like they could, they could that we adopted. I chose to have them in my life. Mm -hmm. That and so they could they could make up an assumption about me. But at the end of the day, you say you're a left. I'm kind of right, and we're sitting across from the table having a, a discussion, all of which we do not agree on, and we're <laughs> going to get up and be friends when we're finished. Exactly. And and, and I just gave you 2,000 rounds of ammo, so if you were mad at me, you could shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wonderful note. <laughs> well, that's great, James. I'm very appreciative of you taking the time to talk to me. This is a fascinating discussion. Oh, no, I enjoyed it. it be, next time you come back, if you want to do another one, it'd be great. I always... Uh, always like these are challenging like when i sit down with a guy and just talk about guns that's whatever but these 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 are challenging they make me reflect upon you know my personal decisions and because i i do influence people like people listen to me so i have to be very careful that there's no miscommunications when something comes out of my mouth and so when we have these discussions it makes me contemplate and actually reflect on what am i what is the message I, there are words coming out of my mouth but what am i saying mm-hmm and good. I hope it challenges and makes other people rethink their ideas and their decisions, too, and then Absolutely. get to that spot we got to get to. Great. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to shake his hand now. You can't see that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>
And so I want to leave you today with something that I learned when I was in law school. Well, actually, before I was in law school, I was just looking to apply, and I was sitting in observing a professor teaching one of his classes, and he was playing hangman on the board, and he put a few uh, blank spaces up there, and he was talking about two different parties in a case that were opposing each other, and he said, now, what is the key to determining what what the judge might be looking for from these parties when they're making their claims? And in in the spaces on the board, he filled out the word reasonableness. And I think that is an extremely important lesson that I carried with me and I will for the rest of my life. And that is when you're dealing with other people, when you're looking to evaluate opinions and how you conduct yourself, you always have to be reasonable. And that's something that I want to bring to these interviews and something that I think is severely lacking from what is going on in the media right now, which is just a circus. Now I have another interview lined up for next week and I'm crossing my fingers that everything is lined up and I can get to talk to this person. So I'm not going to jinx it and spoil who it is. But I'll just say it's another person associated with the uh, libertarian movement. And I think um, it will be an interesting interview, to say the least. Now, I'm hoping to release sort of these longer interview-style podcasts maybe once a month. And then I'm also looking to mix up the format and see how people respond to some other ones. Like, I would like to do some short News of the Week commentary podcast, which would be a lot shorter, maybe 10 minutes. And then I was thinking about also trying some thought experiment podcasts, just sharing some interesting ideas that I had with you and questions that people have posed to me that I think would be uh, really, really interesting to think about for everyone. So that's sort of the schedule, a monthly podcast for interviews and then maybe some shorter episodes mixed in between. And as I become more comfortable with the show format, hopefully the interviews will be even more polished and in-depth. And I hope all of you join me in this journey, and I welcome any feedback that you might have. This is Dangerous Ideas. I'm Jordan Gassemi, reminding you to be reasonable.